Please take up your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. We will read Revelation 3, 7 through 13, uh, the, the letter to the church in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is about another uh, 30 miles south, southeast of, of the church in Sardis. If you remember, we're kind of making an oval-shaped loop beginning in Ephesus and working our way back around to the church of Laodicea. And, and Philadelphia was a, a church that sh- or a city that should have been uh, large and prosperous. It was settled along a crossroads of trade routes. It was considered to be the quote-unquote missionary city for the Greek and Roman culture to go to the east. And it, it, it had fertile soil. It was in a volcanic area. And so it had a, a volcanic soil that was good for grapes. And so it was uh, a very prosperous uh, for its wine production. In fact, the patron god of Philadelphia was Dionysus, the god of wine and partying. Um, but as many benefits as it had going for it, it was not as large a city as it should have been. With all the uh, volcanic activity in the area, combined with the fact that Philadelphia was settled on a fault line, um, there was a lot of uh, earthquake seismic activity within the area. Most of the people lived outside of the city on the plains because, well, the walls cracked and when when the ground shook underneath you and the walls began to kind of crumble and fall, it was a dangerous place to live. So they lived on the plains rather than in the city. And so it was a city that should have been large and prosperous, but, but really struggled um, economically. And so the church has been planted in this place and this letter has been written to the church. So hear the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, none can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. To him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, you have given us your word and preachers and teachers of your word so that we may be moved to seek you. Some of us need to seek you and find you for the first time. May the good news of forgiveness for sin be clear and powerful through these words. Some of us need to seek you again, refreshed and renewed through the Spirit's work and the word. Convict us of our need for total reliance upon you. And some of us need to seek you in the tribulations of this world, hoping to grab comfort in the midst of trial. 
Fill us with the knowledge of assurance that we have through Jesus. Lord, fill my words today with your spirit and with your power. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Zechariah chapter 4, the prophet Zechariah sees a vision, and, and in this vision, Zerubbabel, the governor of Jerusalem after the exile and a descendant of David, is commissioned to begin re, or to continue the work of rebuilding the temple. The work of the temple had stopped, and Zechariah was called by God to, to send God's message to the Israelites to, to get back to work. And the promise that God gives to Zerubbabel through Zechariah is that Zerubbabel would merely be God's instrument to complete the work of rebuilding the temple. The Spirit would empower him and the Israelites not only to complete the temple, but also to make a smooth track for the nations to reach the presence of God. And in giving this message to Zerubbabel, God comes to him with these words. He says, whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and see the plumb line in the hands of Zerubbabel. Many times our culture lives by the mantra, bigger is better. We think the only way to get things done is through big budgets or big programs or, or even big churches. But Jesus thinks differently about the work of the church in this world. While we are called to work, it is the triune God who brings about the designs and decrees of God. We learned today in Sunday school that while, while Paul may have planted the seed of the gospel and Apollos watered the seed of the gospel, it is God who brings about the harvest. So God comes to the church, the church in Philadelphia and the church today and says, I have called you to my work and I will give you the spirit so that you will see it happen. And in the letter to the church at Philadelphia today, we see God's message to the church of small things. Jesus gives one command to the church in Philadelphia. He says, hold on to what you have. Well, what did the church in Philadelphia have? They had faithfulness. They had to not deny Jesus' name. In a world that was antagonistic to the things of God, a world that still is antagonistic to the things of God, as he has revealed them in the Bible, the ever-present temptation for the church and for the Christian is to compromise the truth. We're tempted to either compromise, you know, a little bit here and, and a little bit or and a little bit there, just so that maybe the world is more attracted to the gospel message, or, or, or maybe we get an opportunity by compromising here to, to give truth later on. Or we may be tempted at some point to completely deny the name of Jesus. As the persecutions of the second and third century increased in intensity, many Christian members found it easier to give in to the temptation to deny the name of Jesus to recant their belief than it was to face the trials, the economic, the social, the political hardships that come from holding fast to the truths of the gospel. In fact, during the 4th and 5th centuries, a great bit of time and debate was spent on how to treat these people once the persecutions ended. And these people wanted to come back to the church. The church in Philadelphia did not have that problem. They had refused to deny the name of Jesus when persecution came. So they were called to hold on to what they had, and what they had was faithfulness. They also had the promises of an intimate future with God and a, and a forthcoming 
vindication. In each of these letters, there are promises to those who conquer. The conqueror is the one who is victorious over the temptations of the world, the temptations to abandon faithfulness to God. The promises that come to each of these churches are are some form of a promise to be held securely in the presence of the triune God for all eternity. Faithfulness to God's law can be as simple as putting in an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. But we can be tempted to shirk our responsibilities for various reasons. Maybe the work, maybe we work for an unjust employer. Honestly, they don't give us an honest day's pay for an honest day's work. But one of the things that will keep us faithful, keep you faithful in the middle of temptation is to be reminded of the promises that that this is not our only hope. This is not our future on this world, that we have a secure future, an eternal walk in the presence of our faithful Savior. So they had faithfulness. They had the promise of vindication in a future, and they also had a little bit of power or little power. This phrase, I know you have but little power, reminds us that Jesus, number one, knows each and every one of the churches and the situations in which that church serves. He said to Zerubbabel, Do not des- or, those who despise the day of small things will see the power of God at work and will rejoice as they see Zerubbabel strengthened to go about the work and to lead the work of rebuilding the temple of God in Jerusalem after the exile. And he says to the church here in Philadelphia, he says, you're a church with little power, but you will see my glory. You will see my majesty. Now, what does it mean when Jesus says that they are a church of little power? Well, it could point to the picture that that Paul gives to the Corinthian church where he he reminds the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.26 that most of them did not come from a place of power or prosperity. Most of them were poor and looked down upon in society. And so they had no economic power or no political power. The church oftentimes serves at a human disadvantage in the world because, you know what, we're not the powerful. We're not the shakers and movers of society. And in many societies, the church is looked down upon as a bunch of kooks, a bunch of crazies who worship some dead god. Little power could also point to their status as a persecuted church. One group that did have power in Philadelphia was the synagogue of the Jews there in Philadelphia. They were prosperous. They were powerful. They held sway within the the area of Philadelphia. And after the fall of Jerusalem, the Jewish population throughout the empire did everything they could to separate themselves from the Christians. This included praying against them and turning Christians into the authorities. A Jewish prayer written in the 90s, uh, probably right before the book of Revelation was written, a Jewish prayer says this, For apostates let there be no hope, and the kingdom of the insolent may thou uproot speedily and in our days. And let Christians and heretics perish in a moment, Let them be blotted out of the book of life and let them not be written with the righteous. Blessed art thou, O Lord, who humblest the innocent. 
We know that it was not only the Jews, but also the Roman authorities, both local and empire-wide, that persecuted the church. And so the church has little power that the world would think, little power for them to be able to do things within the world. And lastly, as they are called to hold on to what they have, having faithfulness, having the promise, having little power, they hold on to what they have, which is an open door. And this open door is an open door for number one, assurance, and number two, for ministry. In our reading from Isaiah earlier, we read about two stewards of the king, Shebna and Eliakim. The king's steward controlled who did or did not get access to the king. If you were coming to petition the king for resolution of conflict, you would first go to the steward. You would present what it was that you wanted. And the steward would say yes or no to your request to enter the king's presence. Shebna has been using his position as steward to enrich himself. He was carving out for himself a grave in the area where only the kings were buried. He was likely taking bribes to either grant access to some or to deny access to others. And God promises that the keys of David, the symbols of access to the king, would be given to another, would be given to Eliakim, who was a a faithful steward, who would faithfully exercise his duties to allow people access to the king for justice. Jesus applies this role to himself when he says that he is the one who holds the keys of David. The religious leaders of Israel were given the task of interceding for the people before God, and they had used their position to enrich themselves. So God sent Jesus to secure access to God and to keep that access open for those who were called and to shut that access to those who were not. And Jesus secured that access and this, excuse me, this Jesus secured access to God brings promises of assurance for the Philadelphian Christians. From an earthly standpoint, the assurance is related to the persecution that comes. Since they had kept Jesus' commands, Jesus would keep them from tribulation and from trouble. This combination of words here in this verse, where he he says, uh, since you have kept my commandments to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. That combination of verb, keep, from, is only found one other place in the New Testament and is in John 17, verse 15, which says, My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world or keep them from the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. The tribulation that will come upon the church of Philadelphia that they will be kept from will not be something that they will be snatched away before it happens. It will not be something that that they will look to some future time and and have the hope that the Christians in some future time will be snatched away before persecution. God will keep them, protect them, hold them tight in the midst of the persecution. Jesus said to his followers, into your life, suffering will come, testing and tribulation will come, but I will hold you secure in the midst of that tribulation. And so for the Christians there in Philadelphia, as they looked forward to the persecution that was going to come locally and empire-wide, they could know that they were kept secure, that that door 
of access to God would always be open for them, even in the midst of persecution. But this promise of Jesus being the one who opens and shuts is also a promise that brings eternal assurance. In four different ways, Jesus describes the Christians remaining secure in the presence of God forever. They will be a pillar in God's new heaven and new earth temple. If you lived in an area where the ground shakes underneath you on a regular basis and you're going to build a building, not only do you need a good solid foundation, but you need a good solid pillar that is not going to shake, that is not going to move and is going to hold up. It's a sense of security that these people will have as being firmly planted in the temple of God, the new heavens and the new earth. And as the temple of God, the faithful Christian will never again leave God's presence. So never again will he leave it. Never again will he leave the temple of God. The word for temple there is is not a word that describes in other places the entirety of the temple. It is a word that describes one specific part of the temple, and that is the Holy of Holies that place where God resides. And we learn later on that all of creation will become the temple of God as he resides with his people in the new heavens and the new earth. The faithful Christian also will be marked by God's name. Number three and four uh, assurance that we get is being marked by God's name and being marked by Jesus' name. Oftentimes, if you if you were a benefactor who had given money to build a temple, your name would be placed upon the pillar of the temple. Or if you were a benefactor who had given money to secure the the sanctuary unfairly, your name would be written upon the window. But whose name here is written upon the pillar in the temple of God? God's name. It shows ownership. It showed that he paid the price for the building of this temple. He paid. He did everything necessary to pave the way. For your presence in the temple, and it also reminds us that the faithful in Revelation seven and in Revelation 14 are marked by the name of God. As a symbol, as a sign that they are faithfully protected by God in the midst of tribulation. So Jesus holds the key of David and he opens the door for our assurance. But he also opens the door for our ministry. In Paul's letter, he uses the phrase open door to describe different ministry opportunities that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, had given him access to. Whether it was churches in Macedonia or Spain, Paul saw God's open doors to take the gospel to the known world. What ministry opportunities did the Christians in Philadelphia have? Well, interestingly enough, they have a ministry to the Jews of Philadelphia. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Why are they the synagogue of Satan? Well, they are the synagogue of Satan because they are lying about the Christians, that the Christians are not truly the people of God. As Paul tells us that the mark of the people of God is now a spiritual mark. It's not a genetic mark. It's not an ethnic mark. 
But those who are truly the children of Abraham are those who have placed their hope, their faith, their trust, their confidence in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But the Jews in the synagogue there are saying, no, you are not the people of God. Only we are the people of God. And what does Jesus say about them? About the religious leaders during his ministry, he says, because you lie about me, you are of your father, the devil. You are more like Satan than you are God. And so they are a synagogue of Satan here because just like Satan, they lie. And they are causing persecution in this lying. They are causing difficulty for the church in Philadelphia through their words. But then Jesus says this, he says, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. These are word pictures taken from the book of Isaiah, from Isaiah 45, Isaiah 49, and Isaiah 60, where God has reestablished his perfect Jerusalem. And the Israelites are there. And all the nations are coming into the new Jerusalem to worship and to bow down and to give their allegiance and their gifts to God and to the people of God. And in an ironic twist here, Israel, because of their rejection of the Messiah, find themselves in the role of the pagan nations rather than in the role of the people, excuse me, the people of God. And it is through the ministry of the Christians, this small, insignificant church in Philadelphia, that these Jews will see the light and will come to faith in the Messiah. We know from Paul in Romans chapters 9 through 11 that the gospel was taken from the Israelites and given to the Gentiles so that the Israelites would be jealous and would come to faith in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we see this working out here through the lives of the Philadelphian Christians. Jesus has given an open door of ministry to the church in Philadelphia. And he is the one that will secure that ministry. He is the one that will see that ministry come to fruition. We have been planted in a place where people lie about us in our belief. You, you can't really be the people of God because you say things that we define as unloving. Not God. We define as unloving. So since you're not like Jesus, you must not truly be Christians. In fact, those of us who are acceptance and accepting and tolerant are the true people of God. And God has said, I will open a door for ministry for you, even in the midst of a hostile world. And these people will see the glory of the grace of God. And they will come to faith. They will come to belief through your ministry. You're a church of little power. And yet I will draw people to you through your ministry. So he comes to the Philadelphian church and he says, hold on to what you have. For I have opened a door for ministry of you for you, a door that no one can shut. And I have given you assurance through the door that Jesus has opened for you, a door that leads to eternal fellowship with God. Every church has been planted in a hostile territory. Jesus knows you 
Jesus knows the situation in which you have been planted. And Jesus has opened a door of opportunity for this church to minister to the hostile forces that surround us. And we can show our faithfulness in several ways. Number one, remain faithful to Jesus' commands. I know this is difficult in this world. You know, a world that looks at a, a, a stilted definition of love and throws away all the other commands as unloving. It, it's difficult to remain faithful and to pursue holiness in this world. But Jesus commended the Philadelphian church for their faithfulness to his word. Secondly, hold firm to the truth that God has given you. We will be pushed to soften the message or, or to compromise with the ethics of this world. But, but Jesus commends the Philadelphian church for holding firm to the truth and not denying God. Thirdly, take God's gospel to every aspect of your life. Do you work for the glory of God? Do you work as for God and not as for men? Is your family shaped, your family life shaped by the word of God? Is your recreation life shaped by the word of God and by pursuit of his glory? And finally, pray. Nothing says I believe that Jesus has opened a door for his good news more than giving up time and energy to intercede for the people of God. And don't just pray for Lord, may your gospel be effective in this world. That's a good prayer, but there are better prayers. Pray for specific family members that you know who don't know Jesus. Pray for, pray for people on your street or in your holler that you specifically know don't know Jesus. Pray for people that you run into in your daily life, whether it's at work or at play. Pray for our city our community, our county. Pray, 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 and then pray some more. Our confidence is in the fact that Jesus has secured our salvation and that he has opened a door for a ministry to you and to me. And no earthly or demonic force can shut that door until Jesus says it's time to move on. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for these promises that Jesus has secured for us the open door. That Jesus has secured for us our future, our future place in the presence of God, a future which is ours now. And he has also secured for us the ministry that we have here. Help us to run boldly through that open door of ministry here, emboldened by our assurance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you do go this week for your work, for your family, for your recreation, take this blessing with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance upon you and give you peace. We pray to our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.